Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. This week's sermon is from Robin Aldridge and it's entitled Tabernacles. Try it now? That's good. Thank you. Well, shalom everyone. Shalom. Not quite sure we need a sermon at this point to you. Um, anyway, I prepared it, so I'll do it. <laughs> Father, I just uh, thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we crave your voice uh, to speak to us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that uh, as your word is shared, you will anoint that word and that it might uh, speak heart to heart. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I've gone out of church and then Sue has said something to me about the sermon. I couldn't even remember (laughs) what the sermon was about. That's never true when Steve's speaking, of course, but... um, So... Sometimes they're, they're remarkably short-lived <laughs> in our memories, uh, sermons. But sometimes, just sometimes, they touch us in a way that enables us to say, ah, now that's important and I'm going to remember it. So, the last time I preached, which was a while ago now, it was before the long, not hot summer, um, I bet you can't remember what I preached about. I had to look it up myself. Um, <laughs> uh, we talked uh, together about the the feast of first fruits, um, one of the biblical feasts, and how Jesus fulfilled that because he was indeed the first fruits of those who were raised from the dead. And we we looked just briefly at the fact that there are a whole series of biblical feasts, seven, interestingly, for those of you interested in numbers, seven is the perfect number, seven biblical feasts. The interesting thing is now that people will often say, ah, those are seven Jewish feasts, as though they have nothing to do with us. Well, actually, I can't see anything in the Bible that says that those feasts are nothing to do with those who believe in Jesus. So... I want you just to look uh, this morning at uh, one of those feasts. Uh, In the spring, we've had Passover, first fruits and unleavened bread. Then the next feast is Shavuot or Pentecost. And then the autumn feasts have begun and just concluded, in fact, with Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and finally Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. And what I want us to try and look at this morning is what's the connection between these feasts and us? And what's the connection between these feasts and Jesus? Because you see, God is interested all the time in connection, in connecting us together as a group of believers, in connecting to himself, and in connecting us with his word. And if we can do some of those things together, then I think we will bring a smile to his face and maybe some healing to our own lives. 
So what about um, this one then, the Feast of Tabernacles? Sue and I and uh, several people from here have just returned from Israel and uh, we were actually there for the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, which was great because we've, we've never actually been there for that. But unfortunately, we left before the greatest of these feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles, just as Passover is the greatest of the spring feasts, so Tabernacles is the greatest of the autumn feasts. It's great because of what it does and celebrates. It's great also because it lasts for eight days. Now, we're not used to festivals that last that long. We'd probably, if, you know, you said, well, we're going to have an eight-day Christmas, you know, people would be absolutely exhausted well before the end of it. But the Feast of Tabernacles carries on for eight days. Um, and like most of these biblical feasts, it's invested with a deep range of meanings, both from the immediate to the prophetic. So as we look at it, let's just have a look at how it was instituted. God, as with all these feasts, actually commanded that it should, they should be celebrated. And it says in Leviticus 23 and verse 33, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins. It lasts for seven days. The eighth day is, is the, the final celebration. For seven days present offerings made by fire to the Lord. And on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. So beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and the eighth day is also a day of rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruits from the trees, palm fronds, leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths or tabernacles for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths so that your descendants will know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed feasts of the Lord. Whose feasts are they? The Lord's, right. Okay, so this comes in the autumn, usually around about October time, um, and it's in the month of uh, Tishrei, in the middle of that month. It begins and ends with what's called, in some versions, a holy convocation. It means a, a special Sabbath, when you do no work and you spend all your time focusing on God. In the time of Jesus, it would mean going to the temple. Every Jewish person who was able was commanded to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles every year as a lasting ordinance. 
And we read as well that people are commanded to dwell in booths or tabernacles. And they do that for eight days and they surround themselves with the produce of the land. And what do they do? They celebrate. Tabernacles is sometimes called the feast of ingathering because it comes at the end of the autumn when the final harvest has been gathered in. The church has replaced tabernacles with harvest festival. But just as Yom Kippur is an immensely serious time of repentance and restitution, so tabernacles is just the opposite. It is an extravagant celebration of the goodness of God. It is celebrating his faithfulness. It's said that anyone who has not been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles doesn't know what rejoicing means. So this has got a very different feel to it from these, from these other feasts. This is truly a time when people are so overjoyed, not just with what has, God has provided for them, but with the presence of God with them as well. So today, the Jewish people around the world, but particularly in Israel, will build uh, these structures called a, a sukkah. And um, you're a sucker if you go in them uh, in England <laughs> because they don't have roofs on them. Um, there, there are ways in which the rabbis have said that they should be constructed. So first of all, uh, they're, they're like a box. Um, but you're going to live in them for eight days, particularly if you're in Israel. Um, so you're going to eat in them so you need to have a table and chairs to eat in. Many Jewish people will also sleep uh, in the sukkah at night as well because it's nice and warm. And the roof has not got to be solid. There's got to be more gaps in the roof than there are solid bits. And that's because at night, the people need to be able to look up and see the stars. And they're also meant to be flimsy in their construction. These are not big solid structures. These are just temporary dwellings that people have built. And had we been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, as we walk around the Jewish part of the city, every house, every apartment, every place would have had one of these outside uh, with lights on. But also, they would have hung them with the things that reminded them of the harvest, the things that had been brought in. So the, uh, the rabbis, in their wisdom, have decided that that should be the palm, the myrtle, the willow, and the etrog. And I bet you were all right up until I got to etrog. <laughs> you think, what on earth is an etrog? Well, it's a cross between a grapefruit... Um, and an orange and it looks large and knobbly and why it's there I have no idea the rabbis at some point determined that instead of having you know, like a lemon or an orange to represent the citrus fruits that they've gathered they would have an etrog I personally think there must have been a rabbi who had an etrog farm <laughs> and thought, this is the moment I can cash in. <laughs> because actually, if you eat them, they're not that nice. So, 
There we are. And they also have a thing called a lulav in their uh, sucker, and these are made of the various uh, leaves from the trees that they're commanded to make, and they're tied together, and then they are waved. That, by the way, is an etrog next to the uh, lulav. Pretty, isn't it? And, and that waving of things is a wave of celebration. Uh, you know, just like uh, you can wave flags to celebrate, so you can wave these things to celebrate. So all this is part of this great celebration that goes on for seven days. So, why, why is it, does it look like that? Well, to start off with, people need to be in this flimsy structure to remind them that our life is flimsy. We are here today, gone tomorrow. We have all kinds of difficulties and struggles and the flimsiness of that structure should remind us too of the flimsiness of the life that we have compared to the eternal nature of God. And why should we be able to look up at the stars? Because we need to be reminded of the creator. Him who created everything. He whose hands flung stars into space. So Tabernacles is that time to remember God, the majesty of God, remember God's provision around us. But he's also for the Jewish people a time to look back and a time to look forward as well. They're commanded to live in these booths because they have to remember the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness. And although you might think, well, that's not much of a thing to celebrate, wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, what was happening was that God's presence was with them for 40 years in the center of the camp where they stopped the Shekinah glory of God rested as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. They remember the protection and the blessing and the presence of God in their midst during that time. You know, as we look back, we are encouraged by the Feast of Tabernacles to look back and be thankful for God's presence, his blessing, his protection over us, but also to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember his death upon the cross, his resurrection, his promises to be with us. But God never wants us to spend all our time looking backwards. He wants us to look forwards as well. And we look forward, don't we, to the return of our Saviour, the second coming of our Lord, and then our dwelling with him for eternity. It's a great time to go through that process of just stopping for a moment, resting in God and remembering the great things he's done for us and the great things he's going to do for us in the future. Interestingly, Jesus went every year 
to the Feast of Tabernacles. He was a good Jewish boy. His family would go up every year. But once he started his ministry, he would go up to three tabernacles. And isn't it interesting that the last time that he went there, John tells us, but when his brothers had gone up, he also went up to the feast, not openly as it were, but in secret. So he'd have these conversations, all Jewish men, up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. His disciples got ready, got all their kit on and said to Jesus, right, let's go. And he said, no, I'm not going. <coughs> they must have been deeply shocked by that. Anyway, they set off, left him behind. Now, I don't know what happened because the Bible doesn't tell us, but my speculation is that God said to Jesus, you do need to go. And he was obedient to his father. So he went. But he went several days after the disciples. So he would have got there halfway through this great feast. And verse 2 tells us absolutely that this is the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not messing about. You're not making up that he went to the Feast of Tabernacles. He was there. He may have been present for only part of the feast, but he was certainly there for the last day of the feast. Now, the last day of the feast is the culmination of all this celebrating when the people pack the temple and it's called, as said he, looking at his notes, because it's got two different names, um, and it is called Hoshana Rabbah, the great rejoicing before the Lord. And on that day, Two special things happened in the temple. First of all, the priests and the high priests left the temple, went down to the pool of Siloam, and with them they had some golden pitchers. Not pictures, but pitchers, right? They filled them with water from the pool of Siloam, and they took them back up to the temple. When they got to the temple, there was much singing, shouting, blowing of shofars, and celebrating... And the priest then poured the water ceremonially on the steps of the temple and it trickled all the way down the steps of the temple towards the people. And then they prayed for rain. They prayed for the former rains, the rains that were going to come in the autumn, that would soften the ground and allow the seeds to be sown. And for the latter rains, when the heavier rains would come, and the crops would start to grow in springtime. So that's what was going on on this great final day of the feast. And in John 7, 37 and 39, it says this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. You see, Jesus takes this moment when they are looking at the real water trickling down the steps, when the priests have been praying for rain to say, that's not what you need. That's not what you need. You need the living water of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm giving you. Something else special happened on that day as well. 
um, because during the feast, bonfires are lit around the walls of Jerusalem. And these are pretty big bonfires. They lit up the whole of the area of Jerusalem and the hills around it um, during the night. And isn't it interesting that John says to the Pharisees at this time, in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, Jesus took this opportunity of being at the Feast of Tabernacles to say to the gathered Jewish people, I am your Messiah. I am the one who is bringing you living water. I am the one who is the light of the world. Now we can only speculate what might have been in Jesus' mind at that time as he stood in the temple courts at that last Feast of Tabernacles But folks, he would have been overlooking the Mount of Olives. Knowing that the next time he would be there would be in his place of glory of his second coming. His feet will stand on the Mount of Tabernacles. So, the light burning there reminded the Jewish people of the Shekinah glory of God that was with them. But it's interesting that in Ezekiel and verse 10, we read this. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. What it's describing is God being on the move. But he's actually on the move out of the temple. And it says, and then the glory of the Lord departed the threshold of the temple. But that's not the end of it. Because he goes on to prophesy in chapter 43, and the glory of the Lord came back into the temple by way of the gate that faces east. The spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking from the temple whilst a man stood beside me and he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. You see, Ezekiel's prophecy was of the second coming of Jesus. Where's the Mount of Olives? On the east side of Jerusalem. Where's the Golden Gate? They've bricked up so he can't get in. It's on the east side of Jerusalem. Where did the glory of God depart from? It went east. Where's it coming back from? The east And Jesus is returning. Ezekiel's second vision has a temple. There isn't one there at the moment, but there will be. And it's got something in it, according to Ezekiel, that none of the other temples had in it. 
a throne. Why does it need a throne? Because the King of Kings is coming back. You see, this time of tabernacles is so significant for us. You see, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, and I've heard Steve doesn't know either. In fact, Jesus said, no one knows, not even the Son. But we are commanded to look at the times and the seasons and to watch and pray. Tabernacles is about the great final ingathering of the harvest. It's going to be a harvest of souls. We are going to be gathered together with Jesus for eternity. And so will the Jewish people who know who Jesus is. And they'll be with us. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles is of great significance because I don't know the year he's coming back but I'm putting my money on him coming back at the Feast of Tabernacles. If you work out according to biblical measurement when Jesus was born, it wasn't at Christmas. Most people think it was the Feast of Tabernacles. He died at the Feast of Passover. He was raised at the Feast of First Fruits. He gave his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I believe he's coming back at Tabernacles. So, what about us? <laughs> well, as we look forward and as we look back and then look forward, let's just focus on that promise of Jesus that he will return and when he returns, we will be with him and we will be with him eternally. And let us remember this scripture too. Come to me, all you who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever your struggles are at the moment, and praise God that people will have touched, the Spirit will have touched you as you were prayed for, this morning. Whatever those things are like, we have a certain hope that we will be eternally with Jesus when this life is over. And that's the promise of tabernacles. We will be gathered together with him. It's a feast that reminds us of the fragility of life, of God's goodness to us in the past his promises for us in the future his protection over us his daily provision for our lives his promise to gather us together with him his return to Jerusalem with the saints and the promised rest for all believers that beats Harvest Festival Amen <laughs> Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to find out more about Riverside Church, you can visit us at riversidechurch.org.uk. Mm -hmm.